<laughs> I love Andy Reid. And the chief story is one that started with a lot of people saying, oh, they might not even be the best team in their own division. So it's kind of a fun arc. And I would say we now know that they take all of this motivation into account and they bottle it up and they use it when they need to dig down deep. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Super Bowl is in the rearview mirror. What is your next big thing in sports? Uh, even now, I've got hockey on the tube in front of me, a replay of a game earlier. Uh, I've also had the NBA up tonight, uh, NFL Network as well. And so there's a lot happening, a lot bubbling underneath the surface. Um, and it won't take that long for us to dive forward into something new. The Genesis Invitational, it's the biggest golf tournament of the year to date. But we're not that far away from the PGA heading east and south to uh, its Florida swing and and gearing up for the Masters. So that comes up Easter weekend, actually. The Masters and Easter weekend are one and the same, second weekend in April. You've also got, by that point, opening day, March 30th, all 30 teams on the 30th of March uh, to start baseball season and fuego at least we hope we'll see uh how many of those games have to get postponed because of inclement weather but that's also one of the fun parts of baseball in the springtime in the early springtime march madness will be in full swing by then as well in fact they'll be down to their final weekend with the the championship the final four coming actually final fours both of them coming the first weekend in april and then you also have the NBA and the NHL gearing up for their playoffs and battling for seating and home court and home ice advantage with the postseason beginning in April as well. We've got the Daytona 500 this weekend. We've got the USFL. We've got other football activities like the Combine, which actually is just a few days away, and then the draft later in the spring. It's a smorgasbord, if you will. The spring is extremely busy. So what is your next big thing? We couldn't even narrow it down to put it into a Twitter poll. So instead, it's an open-ended question on our show Twitter, After Hours CBS, or you can find my Twitter, A Law Radio, and then our Facebook page. Don't forget, subscribe to our YouTube channel if you're a YouTuber, because when we get to 4,000 subscribers, we're just a few hundred away, when we get to 4,000, Producer Jay is eating a large bowl of broccoli. The bowl is becoming larger by the month. It's just, now it's large. It's just how, yeah, it's just how it works. Well, I, I told you it has to be a standard bowl of broccoli. I feel like since you have no idea what a standard bowl of broccoli is, I can just make it bigger and bigger. Uh, and, and you're just going to have to wolf it down. It's going to be fine. Think about how much you are giving your, your internal body a lift with the broccoli. It's going to be amazing. You you know what? Your body craves what you give it. That is scientifically proven. So if you start eating broccoli and green vegetables, for instance, I just bought a big chunk of asparagus at the grocery store on Thursday morning. I love asparagus. If you start eating vegetables, your body will ask you for more vegetables. So this could be the best thing to ever happen to me, really. Exactly. Uh, but he won't do it until we get to 4,000 subscribers on the Facebook. Not Facebook. Sorry. We have Way too many there. We get to 4,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel, which is Jay's Baby. And then, of course, we'll have to do a celebratory video because uh, that would be how we would reward you and say thank you for showing up to our YouTube channel. But there is a lot of good stuff. 
I still have friends and family members who are writing to me and saying, oh, I like your Super Bowl Ask Amy. We like your snacks video. So there's new stuff there on our YouTube channel. I haven't checked it in the last couple of days, but I believe in you. I believe in you. Beeps. Uh, We'll get back to your responses about the next big thing. The next big thing for the Cardinals and the Colts. Not the Colts. For the Cardinals and the... Oh, yes, the Colts. I had it right the first time. Always go with your first answer, especially when it's been the end of a long week. With the Cardinals and the Colts, their next big thing was finally getting their head coaches in place. We heard... Uh, from the former offensive coordinator of the Eagles uh, as he became the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And these two franchises clearly waited for their guys to become available. So you get the sense, as much as the Colts went through, what did they interview, 14 different candidates for their head coaching position, uh, you get the sense that once they had talked to Shane Steichen and, and liked what he brought to the table – um, he he was not only the play caller for one of the league's best offenses, but they, they the teams that are very often looking for new coaches, are going to the places, they're going to the, the fertile ground, if you will, the places where there's been success, and they want to have coaches that are coming out of successful systems where they feel like there's momentum, there's credibility in front of a locker room, but certainly they... Uh, want that winning to be contagious. That's almost always how it happens. The NFL is a copycat league. There's nothing new under the sun in the NFL. So, yes, they were waiting on Shane Steichen, and the Cardinals were waiting on Jonathan Gannon. Though I do wonder if they would have given Brian Flores the job had he not removed his name from consideration when he decided to join Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota. Uh, So we've seen the coaching carousel, at least for the head coaches, grind to a halt now. Still some coordinator jobs that need to be handed out. Um, But you've got Jonathan Gannon getting introduced in the desert. I can only imagine for Shane and Jonathan the whirlwind of the last week plus. Going through the interviews, even as they're uh, part of the Eagles' run to a Super Bowl. And then all the craziness and the lack of sleep and and the brouhaha and the pomp and circumstance that comes around being in a Super Bowl. The travel, of course, as well. Getting back and then, boom, instantly having to figure out how do I put a staff together? Right, like, uh, how do I find coaches? Uh, who do I keep with the current of the current staffs in each of these places? And then, how do I find the right people around me when I'm not sleeping and haven't slept for multiple weeks? <laughs> so, Jonathan Gannon, I don't want to say it's a surprise, really. Again, because you're talking about a team that had the best offense, one of the best offenses, and one of the best defenses in the NFL all season. But a bit of a shock to the system that you've got these two guys who have no previous head coaching experience, boom, leaving the Eagles and going right in to start up with something new. But Gannon, he was introduced. Come hell or high water in Arizona, he has got a job to do. We're going to be very adaptable. This is, I'm talking the Arizona Cardinals. This is what our team's going to be. We're going to be adaptable, we're going to be violent. We're going to be explosive, and we're going to be smart. And all three phases go into that. And we will maximize the talents of the players that we have, and that's how we're going to win games. And don't get it twisted. We're going to win games. 
Now, violent, would that be similar to biting kneecaps or is that just me? I've got Dan Campbell permanently imprinted on my audio files in my brain. I swear to God, I'm not a lunatic. I believe you. Actually, I don't believe you, but you're my kind of lunatic, so it doesn't matter. So when Jonathan Gannon says we're going to be violent, you think that's what he's referring to? It certainly is a game where you can't afford to be soft. And I get it. That's a a moniker, a label that people give to the NFL these days, but it's not true. It's not true. The rules have changed, uh, and the game is is tilting in favor of the offense. More space, fewer hard hits on quarterbacks. Yes, they want to take head injuries and concussions out of the game, but that doesn't mean the violence has disappeared. These guys are bigger, stronger, faster, less body fat, more intense, more powerful than they ever have been. So, yes, it still is a violent game. But I don't know what it says about me that I instantly thought about biting kneecaps. I don't know what it says. No, no, I don't know what it says. (laughs) I'm not rambling right now. What are you talking about? (laughs) Jonathan Gannon gets the opportunity to work with Kyler Murray. Now, as a tease, we've got a QB news coming up. And so you'll hear what the new Cardinals head coach has to say about working with Kyler in our next segment. But he's not going to settle. Gannon's already setting the bar very high in Arizona. Everybody that we bring in here or that is here or that will be a Cardinal will have elite football character because you will not hit your ceiling if you don't have that. And what I mean by that is, is you have to be team first. And that's how we're going to build this team. Love his energy. He's got just super competitive. He understands it all starts with accountability. Um, And to me, that's the the most important thing. I want 52 other guys on this team investing themselves to be the best versions of themselves each and every day because every time I step in the building, every time I leave this building, my sole focus is to be the best version of myself each and every day. Zach Ertz reflecting on the hiring of Jonathan Gannon, even as you hear Gannon set the bar high. And he starts with character. I'm sure I'm not the only one who did think of Kyler Murray. There have been some questionable decisions by him and his camp over the past year. Going back to about a year ago, when not only did he scrub his social media, though he swears that's what all people his age do. Well, you and OBJ. Actually, OBJ is older than him now, but I'm not even sure if they're considered the same age. Kyler scrubbed his social media, and then his agent puts out this unprecedented letter, open letter, if you will, to indicate how the Cardinals have been negotiating in in very little faith, with very little faith, how they've been negotiating in ways that do not reflect the value that his client brings to the table. Yep. That value. It's disrespectful. So disrespectful. I don't believe in karma. I do not. But I do believe that this Cardinals season started on a very sour note. And then, speaking of sour, the relationship between Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler, it was devolving. It was deteriorating over the course of the season. And while Cliff told us, hey, that's just a Gen Z thing. This is a Gen Z thing. See what I mean? He and Kyler 
it became very uh, obvious and evident. And I don't just mean from their interactions on the sidelines where Kyler would literally tell his head coach to shut the bleep up. or Oh, no, I guess it was calm the bleep down. If any one of my students says that to me, we're going to have a major problem. It's too hard. Uh, it just, it was a mess. And that's the most important relationship on the field. I just would like to point out that even when Andy Reid had to threaten Patrick Mahomes with benching him, we did not see her, see Pat say, calm the bleep down to his head coach. Now, maybe different because Andy Reid's older. He's got a lot, a lot more winning on his resume than Cliff Kingsbury. But that relationship between the two of them was tenuous at best. And it doesn't surprise me that Cliff took off to Thailand. That's where his girlfriend was, right? Thailand. We went to Thailand on a one-way ticket. Doesn't surprise me that he went to Thailand and said, uh, thanks, but no thanks. I really appreciate the interest, but I need a break. Isn't this the... <laughs> this is a rhetorical question. One to which I already have the answer, but isn't he the coach that gave his his team breaks in meetings or on meetings day meeting days and film sessions so they could check their phones and their social media? Because he felt like that was the way to to allow them to balance. He didn't feel like they could pay attention for long stretches of time if they weren't allowed to have their phones. And maybe it's true. I, I I feel like there's a good portion of our population that if they don't have their phones, they feel naked. If they don't have their phones, they feel like they're missing an appendage. If they don't have their phones, they're freaking out because they don't have their phones and can't play on their phones. It's definitely the culture that we live in now. When you see people out at dinner, they've paid to sit down and have dinner. And they're not talking to each other. They're just on their phones. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah, I'm reading back on it. So he cut the he made the me, every meeting session twenty to thirty minutes so we can have cell phone breaks in there so we could, they could keep their attention and not get bored in the meetings. Huh. Hmm. So it came back to bite him in the rear because that's not actually what a team needs. Now, do you want to treat them like men? Yes. Do you want to give them respect and allow them the freedom to be who they are? Yes. But you're also not their BFF. And and so Cliff Kingsbury's taking a break and Kyler's recovering from a torn ACL and now there's Jonathan Gannon. <laughs> so coming up, we'll hear Gannon about Kyler Murray in addition to a little bit more from QB News like Jalen Hurts and that contract extension, a little bit like the Joe Burrow contract extension conversation and the amount of money that these guys have earned themselves in the last couple years. We've also got Drew Brees on Russell Wilson. Why? Well, because Russ now has his former head coach. What does that mean for Russ to have Sean Payton working with him? Good stuff with the QB news. My stomach's growling. I'm going to rectify that situation. And we're going to continue to look over your responses to the next big thing. Now, see, if it were me putting up the social media post, I would have spelled it that way. Thang. What's your next big thing? Not thong. Your next big thing in sports. Jay's face when I just said that. He never knows what's going to come out of my mouth. Uh, and then also on our Facebook page, After Hours with Amy Lawrence, I cannot ask Jay his next big thing until I am sure that he has spent hours contemplating it. Because if I catch him off guard, he gets very upset at me. Oh, I had a bad day. <laughs> 
Were you waiting? You were waiting to use that, weren't you? Oh, you liar. You were so waiting. You were sitting on it. You were sitting on Ron Rivera until I brought it up again because you know I don't let anything go. So you knew I was going to circle back to it, and you were sitting on Ron Rivera. That would have been really smart, but honestly, I just happened to be right above it at the exact time that you said that and saw the opportunity. (laughs) So you had a really bad day? (laughs) Yes, yes. The answer is yes, but see, here's the thing. Jay's on vacation starting Friday afternoon, so he is, I kind of feel like he might be checking out. So if we ask him a question that he's not hes not ready for, we could get another. He does like my cat. My cat really likes everyone, but Jay thinks my cat just likes him. She does. Well, okay. I'm just saying she's she's a glutton for attention. So you just are the next big thing. <gasps> You're the next big thing. There we go. <laughs> sitting on my head last time. I mean, she does that uh, on Twitter, a law radio on our Facebook page too. What's your next big thing? He, oh, nope. Not time for Marco. It's after hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS sports radio. You are listening to the after hours podcast. Hurry back to throw. And it is. Is it tossed? Oh my goodness. It's tossed. Back from under center, steps back, throws the fade. Cooper Cup's got it! Touchdown, LA! Burrow back to throw, looking, firing deep for Chase in the end zone. He's got it! Touchdown! Joe Burrow and the Bengals! Mahomes fires for the end zone, caught! Touchdown, Kansas City! And off to Heckler again. No, Herbert keeps it, end zone, touchdown! Chargers! Herbert with his second of the day. Here's the snap. Josh going to keep it himself and run it again inside the five into the end zone. Touchdown, Buffalo. Josh Allen, nine-yard touchdown run. The Bills respond and then some. It's time for QB News on After Hours. Little prep for what's to come in the NFL. And we know that the head coaches are done They've all been hired and secured in place. Still a few coordinators. And then we will be very close to free agency and the QB carousel. Derek Carr sweepstakes are currently underway. Aaron Rodgers is succumbing to darkness. And at some point, I suppose, we will get a decision from Aaron. And then you think about Jimmy Garoppolo and what might happen or not happen with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. How about Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold if we're thinking second tier? There are roughly uh, 25% of the teams in the NFL that would like to upgrade at quarterback or that don't even have a quarterback at this time, like the Raiders. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Just mention Jonathan Gannon and let you hear from him, his introduction in the desert. What about Kyler Murray? Now, Kyler likely won't be ready to start the season because of the torn ACL, but it will be Jonathan Gannon's number one goal to not only communicate with Kyler and find a system that works with him, but also to make sure those two are on the same page. Played against Kyler this year, and... uh, (laughs) It was a unique game plan to put together because of his skill set. And, um, you know, I, I use the term, uh, he's a problem to defend uh, because what he can do. He's a legit problem for defenses. And, um, you know, he has a very unique skill set. And uh, that's what I'm looking forward to working with him and showing him, hey, this is how defenses are going to try to stop you. Here's what you need to be ready for. And these are the things that we're going to do with him that's going to help him move all the way up and down the field and score a bunch of points and be explosive and protect the football. 
They've got a fair number of weapons around Kyler. That offense, though, is predicated on him and his ability to move around, uh, certainly his ability to deliver the football. They've got to have a strong offensive line in front of him to give him time. He's athletic, and he can be a problem. I definitely agree with Jonathan Gannon on more than one level there. Um, but they've got to find the right fit, and he's got to stay healthy, too. I mean, that's one of the issues with getting hit a bunch. Can he stay healthy? When he comes back, can he have the same explosiveness and the ability to elude the pressure? There are times when he's a cheat code. The issue with Kyler is that it's not been a consistent cheat code. All right, thinking about Jalen Hurts, a quarterback who not only set a record for rushing touchdowns this season between the regular season and the playoffs, but had maybe the best game of his life in the Super Bowl in the loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. But that loss notwithstanding, there's a lot of buzz around the Eagles about Jalen, who's now eligible for a contract extension following year three. We want to keep our best players here for the long term, and um, he's certainly one of our best players. So um, that's some we'll, we'll keep all the contract talks internal, but um, we definitely would like to keep Jalen Hurts here long term. That is the voice of Philadelphia general manager Howie Roseman, who's now been the architect of two Super Bowl teams that looked very different. In fact, had two different head coaches and coaching staffs. We've seen a ton of praise across the board for Jalen from both sides of the Super Bowl, meaning the Eagles as well as the Chiefs. And so just to refresh your memory, some of the praise being heaped on Jalen Hurts in the last week. He saw what he could do. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's not bad for a system QB, if you ask me. Uh, I'm just so proud of him. I mean, he's talking right now over there. Proud of everything he's uh, he's accomplished and overcome uh, week after week during the regular season and so I love him man I love him he's a great leader leads by example and uh, never lets any situation get the better of him just stays cool calm collected all year round I'm just so proud of Jalen Hurts to be honest with you uh, you know his whole his whole journey uh, you know how he's continually just you know, answered the criticism with his play on the field. Doesn't say nothing. Doesn't you know with what I mean? class, man. Does, he does it with class. It takes it. All right. Say what you want to say. And, um, you know, he just keeps performing, just keeps getting better, just keeps improving. And, uh, you know, for a guy to do it that way, uh, to go out there on the biggest stage in his career and to answer the bell for his team uh, and, and play the way he did, man – Unbelievable performance by Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Um, just, you know, very, 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 very proud of him and, and uh, was was proud to be out there with him. Two of the guys who spend the most time with Jalen, Jordan Mailata and then Jason Kelsey. And you also hear Travis in the background. So a lot of praise and the Kelsey brothers on their New Heights podcast uh, talking about the Eagles quarterback who has elevated his status among QBs in the NFL with the way he played this season. And I love the fact that Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni were praising him going back to last year, feeling like he was poised to make a major jump. And boy, did he. And the Eagles now want to make sure 
that they have hitched their wagon to his star, whatever the cost, right? They, they've got a system that's built around him, one that they believe can win for years to come as long as the quarterback is in place, and obviously health plays into it. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence here on CBS Sports Radio. Now, the Raiders are one of those teams that no longer have a quarterback. If you think about the Derek Carr, excuse me, I don't know why that happened. If you think about the Derek Carr era in, well, in Vegas, but before that in Oakland, it stretches back to his rookie season in 2014 when he won the job in training camp. They have not needed a starting quarterback since then. He played for five different head coaches, not to mention a revolving door of coordinators as well as weapons around him. Darren Waller knows this is going to be odd and awkward and strange to not have a Derek Carr as their quarterback next season. Tough from just an emotional connection standpoint of coming into the team and uh, being a teammate of Derek's for five years, being a friend of his and uh, seeing it in that way. Um, but that's the nature of the business. You have people that come in um, and they don't have those ties. They don't have those relationships. They're evaluating it off of a, a play standpoint. And you, you got to understand that and trust that um, they're making the right decision for the for the future of the team. And even though it's tough when it's somebody that, that you love and have so much respect for. But um, we got to move on and uh, support whoever it is, which I have no idea yeah. uh, who it's going to be. But um, whoever comes in, you know, it's all about building the relationships first, building the culture off relationships with the quarterback and uh, and going from there. That's Darren Waller on Sirius XM NFL. And yeah, it's just a stark reminder of the business. It changes. It's an ever-changing industry and you really don't get a lot of firm footing much, which is why you have guys that are constantly clamoring for new contracts, more guaranteed money, as much job security as they can find because there's very little of it in any aspect of the NFL. Unless, of course, you are Roger Goodell and you're helping the owners make money hand over fist and then you do have some job security. Another quarterback situation with a lot of question marks coming out of last season, that would be Denver and Russell Wilson. So same division as the Raiders and the Chiefs, obviously. Drew Brees knows a lot about Sean Payton. So what about it? His former head coach and Russ working together. He's excited. I I know Russell's excited. Um, You know, look, this window of time now for Russell going into year 12, right? I felt like from year 12 to year 18, those were some of my best years. Um, Just because you're you're at that kind of that peak performance level of, you know, where you are mentally, you know, with the game, your experience, knowledge, wisdom, combining that with still great athletic ability and a great skill set. So this is... This is a prime opportunity for him. Drew Brees, also on Sirius XM NFL Radio. I hope that is the case. I hope that Sean Payton can figure out how best to use Russell Wilson and the good young core of receivers that they have around him. I hope the AFC West lives up to the expectations that many people set for it starting last season. But to be fair, I don't think anybody should be falling into the trap of hey, the Chiefs aren't even the best team in their own division anymore. Not only is Patrick Mahomes the reigning NFL MVP and Travis Kelsey still in the prime of his career, but think about it. They had three, three different receivers, or yes, receivers. Well, let me let me rephrase. They had three different offensive players who scored touchdowns in the Super Bowl 
that were in their first season with the Chiefs. Then you think about their secondary and how they rebuilt the secondary. They had rookies starting in their secondary. That team is not going away either. Health is always the great equalizer. So as long as they stay healthy, we'll see what the Raiders do at quarterback. We'll see if the Broncos can get more out of this massive contract that they paid or they gave to Russell Wilson. And then the Chargers, who did make the playoffs this year. It was good to see them back in it. They have to continue to develop as well. And to that end, we know that they uh, are making changes on their offensive coaching staff. So, yeah, pressure, it's a privilege, but it also does cost people jobs. <laughs> when uh, you see the Chiefs in your division, uh, who are now, they've now won the West seven consecutive years, two Super Bowls, three Super Bowl appearances. It puts every other team and every other job um, in a spotlight. Right? It puts you in a place where if you are not moving forward, you're getting left behind. And so the division itself, they've got to raise their level of play, raise expectations, or similar to what happened in the AFC East for years, it's going to be a non-factor. The division games, the division competition will be a non-factor like it was with the Patriots for so long. How often did people point to the division the Patriots played in and said, well, there's six wins every year. So the Bills, the Dolphins, the Jets, and sure, every now and then they would lose one in their division. But how often did they build a winning record based on the teams in their division? Because the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Bills, they were changing coaches, even ownership in the case of the Bills. They didn't have a lot of consistency. They weren't raising their level of play or their expectations. It took a long time. And meanwhile, the Patriots were able to not only dominate that division, but dominate the conference. How often did they have the bye or a bye or the first or second seed and home field advantage? All of those things. They're not only because the AFC East stunk for a long time or wasn't deep, I should say, for a long time, but those were certainly factors. It helps when you've got teams in your division that are generally weaker. You know, think about the the South divisions this year. The Bucks were able to win the South division with a losing record in the NFC. And then in the AFC, the Titans lost their grip on it and the Jaguars come roaring through. So yeah, when the division in your competition is not any good, well, it adds to a preeminent team or a dominant team if they take care of their division business. So that's a definitely a factor right now for the AFC West. This was a, a punch in the mouth for the rest of the division, thinking that they had raised themselves up to compete with the Chiefs, only to have it go horribly wrong. I mean, it's You can see very clearly the Chiefs are the class, not just of that division, but again, of the AFC. So back to the drawing board for a bunch of teams out there that thought they had got to equal footing. All right, coming up, Kevin Durant tells you why it didn't work in Brooklyn and why he was emotional at the end. You can find me on Twitter, Radio, also on our Facebook page, After Hours with Amy Lawrence. We're asking you the next big thing in the wake of football in the rearview mirror. I, I don't know that it's spring yet. I thought the groundhog saw his shadow and we're supposed to have six more weeks of winter. Where are my six more weeks of winter? You are listening to the After Hours Podcast.
I think it's a jolt, if that makes sense, um, just because of not just who he is as a player, but his love for the game. I think the guys are going to see something that they may not have seen before as far as his approach and how much he just loves to play basketball. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. The reaction of Monty Williams when the Suns traded for Kevin Durant right before the deadline. Durant is still unable to play basketball, though he tells people he's getting close. And it certainly was quite the spectacle in Phoenix on Thursday afternoon before the Suns hosted the Clippers as they were rounding out their pre-All-Star break schedule. 3,000 fans in attendance. And they were cheering Durant's every word, except when the questions were about the Brooklyn Nets. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. You can find me on Twitter, ALaw Radio, our Facebook page, too. What's your next big thing in sports? This weekend alone, we've got the All-Star festivities in Utah, so Salt Lake City, hosting the NBA this year. We've also got the Daytona 500 uh, and the Pole has been set. We had the duels, the twin duels on Thursday. Not only did Alex Bowman get yet another Daytona 500 poll, (laughs) this has become his thing, but Jimmy Johnson, one of the most decorated NASCAR drivers in history, has also gone ahead and qualified for Daytona again. Uh, Kind of a cool, well, cool moment. It is a cool moment, but also a lighthearted moment when he was asked whether or not he is ready for the challenge of the 500 miles at Daytona on Sunday. Hell no. That was all like I was 70 laps now. I need many few more, but tomorrow and Saturday I'll get some more laps. I'll be ready. So this is his return to NASCAR. Uh, And so he was able to qualify. And here he is a seven-time champion getting into his first cup race since 2020. Uh, Nearly 50 years old. He kind of went over to IndyCar and dabbled there and and has an ownership stake in Legacy Motor Club. uh, But missed driving, as a lot of guys do. Uh, Interestingly enough... The number that he used to have on his car, which is 48, now belongs to Alex Bowman, who has the pole. (laughs) So, yes, things change. Life comes at you fast, Jimmy Johnson. You go away for two years, and someone else has got your number and your ride. (laughs) Anyway, so, yeah, Alex Bowman, uh, he'll be joined on the front row by Kyle Larson. Those are your top two. Uh, Bowman actually missed races at the end of last season because of a concussion. So that is also an issue in NASCAR and driving. Remember, that's what forced Dale Earnhardt into what was considered an early retirement. They have a bunch of technology. They try to protect uh, the head and the neck with what is called the Hans device. It's been improved over the years. It's supposed to keep the head stable. They're also in a cage, a driving cage, essentially. Uh, And so concussions are scary. Imagine being behind the wheel of a car, though, when you're going 200 miles per hour, and that is not what you want. So Bowman, he had the time away from racing at the end of last season because of a concussion. Uh, But get this, he's on the front row of Daytona of the 500 for the sixth consecutive year. So this is his thing. (laughs) He wins the poll. He gets on the front row at Daytona. Now 
can he go ahead and and win the race? And then welcome back to Jimmy Johnson. So maybe your next big thing is the Daytona 500. Maybe it's the all-star festivities. Maybe it's spring training, which is about to be in Fuego. Uh, Maybe it is opening day, March 30th, or March Madness, or golf, right? Genesis Invitational. You want to talk about a smiley Tiger Woods. He and Kevin Durant had that in common uh, in the Southwest on Thursday. So we're asking you to let us know your next big thing in sports now post-football, though the combine and the draft are on the horizon as well. So Kevin Durant, what exactly went wrong in Brooklyn? Why? Why did it not work with Kyrie and James Harden? We just didn't get on the court enough. I think when you seen James, Kyrie, and myself, it was it was amazing basketball for 17 games, though. <laughs> but you need... <laughs> In order for you to win a championship and to be a great team, you just need more time on the floor. We could, it's another story about why we didn't get on the floor together, but we just didn't get enough time on the floor. And um, those are Hall of Fame players that I learned a lot from every day, and I'm wishing them the best as well. Uh, it just didn't work out. KD takes somewhat of a high road here. He actually praises both James and Kyrie. Remember, James earlier this week did not have the same kind words to say or fond memories to share about his time in Brooklyn. Uh, Kevin admits it was painful that it's not something that he could just forget about like it never happened because it, it was tough. Yeah, I was upset that we couldn't finish. I thought we would have some good momentum. We were... Uh, finally building the culture that we always wanted. Um, I felt like every game we were building our chemistry. I love playing with those guys throughout the year. I felt like we had dudes that were stepping up and doing stuff that they didn't do on their previous team. So I enjoyed everything about it. And it was tough to not finish the season, but, um, you know, I just tried to move forward as quickly as I can and try to figure something out for myself. What changed would be the obvious question. Well, that's Kyrie's trade request. And so it's very clear, and Kevin made it very clear, that when Kyrie asked for the trade request, uh, when he asked to to get out again, uh, that he felt like he had no other option himself, or this was the best option, right? Because there is unfinished business. He could have stayed, but the Nets would have missed out on an opportunity to get a haul in return, number one. Number two, if the Nets were going to scrap the whole experiment, uh, they might as well do it then and get a head start on kind of the rebuilding project that now faces them. But there was no guarantee they were going to get what they wanted. Remember, that's why they didn't trade him, or at least that's why they said they didn't trade him going back to last offseason. But yeah, eight months, all three of those guys asked out. And so trade requests, that appears to be the catalyst for the end with KD. It was a blow to our team. It, it just took away our identity. He was a huge, huge part of what we do. Uh, his game, he's a Hall of Fame player, a great, great player that can do everything on the floor, and we relied on that. So without him, we didn't have a clear identity. So that was tough for me to stomach. I enjoyed the grind, and everybody there, we tried our hardest every day, regardless of what was going on in the media, what was going on with our teammates. Everybody who's in that gym, we grinded. So I love those guys. I get emotional to talk about them because that was a special four years of my career coming off of Achilles, and they helped me through a lot. He definitely did get emotional. You hear him get choked up a little bit. So maybe there's a heart in there somewhere. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm sorry. That's snarky of me. I have much more snark reserved for Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Uh, but I, I certainly do think 
he has to have regrets. And I don't just mean about the fact that he and the other two did not get on the court. It was actually 16 games together, did not get on the court very often. But also think about the playoff series that they were poised to win against the Milwaukee Bucks and and weren't able to close that out, even at home. Uh, think about the number of injuries that he went through and also the drama. I mean, it does. He can blame the media. He can blame the noise on outside forces, but it was created internally. And ultimately, we know about him wanting the coach to get fired, wanting the general manager to get fired, trying to give the owner an ultimatum. We know that he asked out twice in eight months. We know that it, that he and Kyrie and James Harden uh, were not a good fit. And it maybe it was a slow death for he and Kyrie, uh, ultimately, because Harden got out beforehand. There's got to be regret there. If you have a not just a heart, but if you have any dignity, there's got to be some regrets, even thinking about how the rest of the NBA views you. I mean, remember the the tweet from Robin Lopez in the hours after he was traded. It's like the Muppets take Manhattan, but they fail to take Manhattan, and then they leave Manhattan, right? Like, they, I mean, there's jokes being made about it, so I'm sure it hurts. But now he's all smiles in Phoenix, so a different KD with the Suns. It's After Hours on CBS Sports Radio.